this group of this group of pastors who were all friends, and we're in this Marco Polo, which is like a video chatting thing, and and we always are kind of cutting up with each other on the Marco Polo, and we will talk about everything from like deep theology to what restaurants and fast food restaurants are the best. I mean, it, we've got a broad scope of our conversations, and in this group, there's this, one of our friends named Clint, and Clint is always trying to sell us on something. Some of y'all have friends like that. They're always trying to get you to buy something. And it's not that Clint is selling something himself. It's that he's always trying to convince us to buy these random things that he loves. And so he's like, hey, this is the best. You need to get it. And, and so it's been a variety of different things. Like over this past year and a half, the four that come to my mind are he tried to sell us some like $15 deodorant. He tried to sell us some really expensive like $70 workout shorts. He tried to sell us on, I think, what was the other one? He tried to sell us on some sort of like face cream or something. And there was something else. But he always tries to sell us. And the, the thing is, there's people in our group that have bought all those things. Like they will go and spend that money because Clint's like, this is the best. It's the best thing ever. I don't like spending a lot of money usually, but I will spend it on this. I'm like, Clint, you say that about everything. I think you just spend a lot of money. But he's always wheeling and dealing, trying to get us to buy these things. And I'm like, I'm not buying them. I, I'm not buying them because I'm not convinced that he's not just sitting there with his wife saying, hey, watch this. I can get these fools just to buy, spend $15 on some deodorant. Watch this. And he goes and does it, and they do it. And, and so I'm not convinced he's not doing that. But the reality is he's probably not. It's probably genuine. The truth is, is he's just an excitable guy. He's got things that he just really, really loves, and so he wants to tell his friends about them. And so he loves them, so he wants us to love them, and he wants us to experience them. And if we're honest, we're like that too, right? You find something you really enjoy, you have an experience that you really like, and so what do you do? You go and you tell your friends, you go and tell your family, because you want them to experience it as well. Now, here's why I'm telling you this, is tonight we are continuing our series, Come and See, and we're going to be still in uh, John chapter 1. And in this passage, we're going to see some guys who do just this. They have this life-changing experience. And so they go and they want to tell everyone they know. And they want to bring them so that they can experience this thing as well. And so that's what we're going to be. We're going to be in uh, John chapter 1. We'll be in verses 35 through um, 35 through the end of the chapter and 51. But I want to uh, pray for us before we read the passage, and then we'll read the passage and kind of get into it. Father, we, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. Lord, we thank you that it is living, that it is active, Lord, that it's not some old dead book that has no relevance for our lives. But, Lord, that through the power of your spirit, it has the power to change everything for us. And so, Lord, we pray for ourselves tonight that we... As we engage your word, that you would give us understanding. And Lord, I pray that as I preach your word, Lord, that you would get me out of the way. Lord, that I would hide behind the cross. And Lord, that, that you would move me to the side and elevate your word and elevate your gospel message tonight. So be with us tonight. Uh, bless and honor this time. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So right before this chapter, right before these verses that we're going to read, we talked about our last proximity that there's this prologue in the beginning of John where John sets up the whole, the whole book, the whole purpose. He's introducing us into who it is that he wants us to come and see, and it's namely Jesus. 
He wants there to be no mistake about who the person of Jesus is and that this is God and this is man. That he's the word who was there in the beginning, the agent of creation, but that this word took on flesh and became a man and dwelt among us. That Jesus is fully God, fully man. He dwelt among us so that through him we might have life. That through him we might be called children of God. And then what we see in the next following verses, there's this man named John the Baptist who has come to prepare the way for this Jesus, to proclaim that this Jesus has come, that the kingdom of heaven is near. And and so that's where we're picking up in our verses tonight. What I want to do is I want to read through them and and talk about them and try to unpack them. And then I want to give us three practical truths at the end of our our passage tonight. So starting off in verses, uh, the first few verses, starting in verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. So we see John the Baptist see Jesus coming by and he again repeats and says, hey, behold, this is the Lamb of God. This is the one I've been talking about this whole time. And so when he says this, his two disciples are like, okay, then we're going. We're following him. And they begin to follow Jesus and Jesus turns to them and says, hey, what is it that you're seeking? What are you looking for? What are you looking to gain? And they say, Rabbi, show us where you're staying. Rabbi is a name for teacher. See, in in this day, there would be these religious leaders, these uh, rabbis, these teachers who would have these disciples who would follow them and and take on their teachings and say, hey, we're going to follow you to see how we're supposed to live our lives, to see how we're supposed to honor God. And so they would follow them and they would do everything with them. They They would go walk through life with these teachers. And so when when they turn and Jesus says, what are you seeking? And they call him rabbi. They're saying, hey, we want to follow you. And when they say, where are you staying? They're not just saying like, where, where is it again? Like not for new information. It's like, no, we want to go with you. We want to stay with you. We want to dwell with you. And so they did. They followed Jesus. They became his disciples and they stayed with Jesus that night. Continuing on. In verse 40, it says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Andrew, one of the disciples, He has this experience with Jesus. He sees and says, oh, this is the rabbi. This is the Messiah with whom we've been waiting for. And so he's like, I've got to go tell my brother, Peter. Now, what you need to understand is the Jewish people, they had been waiting a long time for this Messiah. That there was this promised one who was going to come, who was going to overthrow the the oppressors, the rulers of the day, who was going to restore Israel to their right place, who was going to reign over Israel as king, bring security, bring stability, bring flourishing within the nation. And so the people of Israel were longing for that day to come. 
They were looking for who was it that was going to come and be this Christ, this Messiah. That's why when John's preaching, he's preaching with such boldness. Uh, there's, there's the religious leaders going to him saying, like, are you the one? Are you who we're waiting for? He's like, no, I'm not the one, but Jesus is the one. And so Andrew and this disciple, they find Jesus. They find this Messiah, and it's a huge deal. And so he goes to his brother Peter and says, he's here. It's, it's time. The Messiah has come. Just come and see him. And so he brings Peter to Jesus. And when Jesus sees him, he says, hey, you're Peter, son of John, but you're now going to be called Cephas. Or Sorry, you're Simon, son of John, but you're now going to be called Cephas. Peter. You're going to be called the rock. See, Peter was anything but a rock. Peter was wishy-washy. Peter was impulsive. He was volatile. He was hot-tempered and hot-headed. And so that wasn't really a good descriptor of him. But Jesus says, hey, there's going to be a day where you're going to be called the rock. You're going to be called Peter because you're going to be a stabilizing force. In fact, you're going to be a stabilizing force with the beginnings of my church. And we see this happen with Peter after he experiences Jesus. And so Jesus looks at him. He says, your name is going to change. Your identity is going to change. It's all going to change for you. And so Peter eventually, we know, becomes a follower of Jesus. He too walks and, and becomes a disciple of him. Continuing on in verse 43, it says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. So this next day, Jesus isn't done. He's calling more people to himself. It says he goes out and he finds Philip. And he sees Philip. He says, hey, come and follow me. And Philip becomes his disciple. He goes and follows Jesus. And then Philip says, okay, I need to go and I need to find Nathaniel. I've got a friend named Nathaniel. He's waiting on the Christ as well. He's waiting on the Messiah. I'm going to go to him and I'm going to bring him as well so that he can experience Jesus. And so he goes, he finds Nathanael, and he says, hey, Nathanael, the Christ is here. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And, and Nathanael kind of scoffs. He's like, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And we see he's got a little bit of a hardness of heart there. And we don't know the depth of it. We don't know if it was kind of a passing comment or if it was just like a deep-seated hatred towards Nazareth. But at the end of the day, what we see is he's got a hardened and calloused heart. And he doesn't want to go. He, does, he doesn't think that this could be it. And, and Philip, he doesn't start arguing with him. He doesn't start trying to convince him. He just says, hey, come and see for yourself. Come and see this Jesus for yourself. And I guarantee you, you're going to see that this is indeed the Christ. So he continues on in the next following verses. It says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. 
And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Nathaniel is like, all right, I'll go. And he walks up. And as he's walking up, Jesus says, behold, an Israelite of whom there is no deceit. Here comes a man of integrity. Here comes a man who is a straight shooter. He calls it as it is. And we've seen this in Nathaniel already with his little comment about Nazareth. He says, here comes a man of whom there's no deceit. He knows about Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's like, how do you know me? How do you know who I am? You, we don't know each other. And he says, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And we don't know what, what that was. We don't know. There's, there's plenty of people who have guesses and speculations. Um, some think that maybe that was his place where he would go and he would pray daily was under that fig tree. But what we know is Jesus saw him when he couldn't have seen him. He saw him when he was by himself and it struck Nathaniel. Nathaniel says, surely this is the son of God. Surely this is God. This is the king of Israel. This is the Messiah who is to come. And Jesus says, says you thought that was good? You thought that was a big deal? Just wait, because you're going to see the son of man lifted up. You're going to see angels ascending and descending on the son of man. Now, that sounds a little weird. He's referencing some Old Testament text there. When he says son of man, he's calling back to Daniel chapter 7, where you see Daniel has this crazy vision with all these beasts, and it's kind of just a weird setting, but these beasts are causing all this destruction, and then he sees the Lord sitting on his judgment seat in his throne room, and he's judging the beast, and there's this vacant throne next to him, and he sees a son of man, a human, a man, coming and riding on a cloud and then sitting in that vacant chair, ruling alongside God. And it says the people are to worship and serve this God. So you see that this is more than just a man. This is a God man. And so Jesus here, which is his favorite title for himself, he says, hey, I'm the son of man. I'm that man. And then when he says you're going to see angels ascending and descending on the son of man, what he's calling that back to is Genesis chapter 18 or Genesis chapter 28 when Jacob, the, the one of whom all of Israel is, uh, comes from, all of his descendants, Jacob is running from his brother because he's, he's tricked his brother. He's running for his life. He's all by himself. And then all of a sudden he's, he's asleep in the night and the heavens open up and the Lord's in the heavens and he sees this ladder this stairway, this gate, this connection between heaven and earth with angels ascending and descending. And Jesus is drawing to both of these texts. And we'll see why here in a second. So, so what do we get from this? How, how are we to take something from this? There's three things I want us to look at from this passage. Three truths that I want us to hold on to that I think we see in these passages. Number one is this. We are seeking. We are seekers. We're all seeking. See, the, the people who Jesus came across, they were seeking. They were longing. They were searching for something. They were longing, awaiting for that Messiah to come. They were longing, awaiting for the ruler who was going to come and who was going to end their suffering and end their oppression. Looking for a ruler to come who's going to bring security is going to bring peace to their lives. Looking for the one who's going to come and bring flourishing and joy and celebration to them. 
looking for the one that was going to come and bring purpose to them. See, they were seeking and they were awaiting Messiah. And, and Jesus didn't quite look exactly what they thought because he was so much bigger than what they had anticipated. But here's the thing. We are all seekers as well. We are all longing and seeking for those same exact things. There's this deep longing within our hearts for security, a deep longing in our hearts for peace, longing for contentment, longing for joy. We have a thirst deep within us that we are trying to quench. We are all seeking for something to satisfy the longings of our hearts. We are all seekers. And we're going to try to fill that and find that in many different ways. For some, they're going to throw themselves into their work, into success, into school, saying, I'm going to be successful because that's going to satisfy the longing of my heart. I'm going to be successful so that I can find security and I'm going to have stability. I'm going to be successful so I can get material things so that I can find happiness and joy. I'm going to throw myself into relationships so I can find affirmation and love because we have this longing to be seen and to be known and to be loved. We all have a deep thirst within our hearts that we are longing to be quenched. We are all seekers. Which brings us to the second point, which is this, God is the object of our seeking. God is the object of our seeking. I love the way Augustine, the old theologian says it. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. He says, hey, you created us for yourself and to commune with you, and our hearts will not be at rest until we are resting in you. Ecclesiastes 3.11 talks about how God placed eternity within the hearts of man, that there's this deep vacancy within our hearts that is an eternal void, and we are constantly trying to fill that void with all of these different things, but the reality is the only thing that can fill an eternal void is an eternal being. We are longing for this thirst to be quenched, and the only one who can actually quench it is God himself. I had a professor, uh, Dr. Robinson, in a discipleship class that said it this way. He said, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God, and every person who drinks their sorrows away with a bottle, is looking for God. So we are all longing and searching, trying to find what only God can bring. The, the contentment, the peace, the joy, the security, the only thing that can be found in relationship with him. See, the problem is, the problem is we can't have that. The problem is because of the sin in us, we are separated from a holy God. That the Bible talks about how because of the sin in our hearts, we are enemies of God. That we have all rebelled. We've all gone our own way. We've rejected the God who loves us and gave us life and said, I want to do my own thing. And we've separated ourselves from the God that gives life in abundance. And so we have separated ourselves from this God. And that's why we find ourselves seeking and seeking and seeking. And, and we talk about how we all have this desire to be to be fully known and fully loved, but it's kind of t terrifying because we rest in this tension of we long to be known and to be known by God specifically, but it's also terrifying to be known by God. Because if God knows us the way he knew Nathaniel, if he sees us 
in the places that are unseen, it's frightening. Why? Because we know ourselves. We know the, own, the dark parts of our own hearts. We know, know the things that no one else sees. And we know that if, if there is indeed a holy and righteous God, and if there is indeed a God who does make every right wrong and does punish all wrongs, then to be fully known by that God is frightening. So, so how can we have peace in this life? How can we hope to be reconciled with this holy God? How can we find rest when we are his enemies? Well, it, we go to, to what he pointed to, what Jesus pointed to at the end of his passage. You see, in the passage, he pointed to Genesis 28 where there's God, but there's this connection to God. That there's this, this bridge, this stairway connecting the heavens and earth, the, connecting the throne room. And we go to what Jesus says about himself, that he is the son of God, but he's the son of man, that he is the God man. And he says, you will see greater things than these. You're going to see the son of man lifted up. And what he's pointing to is his crucifixion. That these disciples, as they followed him, they would see this Jesus taken and crucified on a sinner's cross, though Jesus was perfect. And he would be hung on that cross and the sins of the world placed on him and the judgment and wrath of God poured out on him. And he would die on that cross as a sacrifice, as the Lamb of God sacrificing for our sins. But then Jesus wouldn't stay dead. He was raised on the third day with victory over sin and death. And the promises is if we come to him, that he is our connection to God the Father. That through him, we can find ourselves resting in God. Through him, we can have peace. Through him, we can have security. Through him, we can have joy. Through him, we can flourish and have life in abundance. All through relationship with him. All through coming to the Son of Man who would be lifted up and be that bridge for us. Jesus is the connection. Jesus is who we come to to find rest in God. See, he says, while we were his enemies, while we were desperately seeking, he saw us. He knew us, yet he loved us fully. Because of Jesus, we are fully known and we are fully loved, and he finds us. Oftentimes, like with his disciples, it's through other people, but he finds us. He draws us to himself. He invites us to follow after him. And when we follow after him and we stay and abide in him, we find ultimate rest. He says, you think it's crazy that, that I knew you? He said, just wait and see till you see that you are fully known, yet you are fully loved because of what I've done on the cross and you were reconciled to God, you will see greater things than what I've just done today. I was, um, I was Sarah and I were sitting at a dinner the other night and the, the waiter kept bringing me water. And I don't know if y'all know about me, but I just, if it's in front of me, I'm just gonna drink it. And so I was drinking water after water after water, so much that even I was like, I wonder if this guy's judging me. He's probably judging me. And he kept pouring me waters. And eventually he's like, you thirsty? And I was like, yeah. And he said, do you know why? And I, I was like, what? What do you mean, do you know why? So I, I, I just kind of, I didn't think he was talking to me, so I just kind of ignored it. And he's like, no, do you know why you're thirsty? And I was like, um, no, do you want to tell me? 
And so he began to tell me, now, are there any chemistry majors in here? If there are, ignore everything I'm about to say because I'm just repeating what this man said as best I can. I don't know if it's true or not. Just a disclaimer. Just, just go with it. But he said, you're thirsty because that water is lifeless water. It's H2O. What you need is you need spring water. That spring water is, and he started talking about through a three in there and it was a hexagonal pattern. I don't know. Again, I'm just repeating what the dude said as best I could. And he started talking about that in that water is where you're actually going to find your thirst quenched. He said, you keep drinking this regular water and it's not actually thirst, quenching your thirst because it can't do that. You need to go find this kind of water. And he starts saying like, it's in watermelon, but not the seedless kind, it's gotta be the seed kind. He starts giving me all this instruction and Sarah and I kind of laughed and I was like, he didn't realize it, but the dude was preaching the gospel. He had no clue, but he was actually preaching what Jesus would say just a few chapters later in John chapter four, when a woman comes up to him and says, Hey, or he says, give me a drink. And she, she says, I, I don't have anything to give you. He said, he said, if you would drink of my water, this living water, your thirst would be quenched. So here's the thing, through Jesus, only through him can we find our thirst quenched. We keep trying to quench this thirst with this stuff that's not actually gonna satisfy us. Only through resting in him can we find the desires of our heart met. Going to our third and final point. The third and final point is the seeking continues. The seeking continues. He invites him and says, hey, follow after me. Now this is, yes, a one-time thing in the sense that it's ultimate, that when you turn and you become Jesus' disciple, when you turn from your sins and you trust him for salvation, your eternity is secured. That there's nothing that you can do, nothing anyone else can do that can rip you from his hands. You are eternally secured. But it's also a daily thing. That though your eternity is secured, we are continuing to walk with him in our life. We pursue after him. We seek his face. We long to know him more. And so the seeking continues. We seek to walk in obedience. We seek to love him more. We seek to to love him and understand him more and more is a thing that does not just stop. It's not just a one-time thing that we just walk away and say, okay, check, got my Jesus thing and, and I'm done. No, it's a continual walking in faith with him. So the seeking continues. But the seeking also continues in that those who were found become finders. Those who were found become finders. We, we see this with the people that Jesus calls to himself, right? When Andrew finds Jesus and encounters Jesus and becomes his disciple, what does he do? He goes and gets Peter. And he brings Peter to Jesus because he wants Peter to see him. He goes and finds someone who he knew was seeking for the Messiah as well. When, when Jesus finds Philip, what does Philip do? Philip then goes and he says, I know a guy who's seeking. So he goes to Nathaniel and finds Nathaniel and says, hey, come and see this Jesus. He brings Nathaniel, the one who's seeking for the Messiah, and says, hey, here he is. The, seeking, the seekers continue on seeking, that when we know Jesus, we're called to then go and find those who are seeking, find those who are lost, and say, hey, come and see. Look at the thing that you were seeking. Look at the only one who's going to satisfy the desires of your heart. Now, who is it that we do this to? 
Well, on a, on a broad and basic level, it, it's anyone that we come in contact with, right? The Bible is going to talk about and have examples of Jesus and his disciples going and sharing to a lost and broken world and, and sharing with all those who they come across with. But then practically, I love the, the intentionality of this passage, practically, who do they go to? They go to the people they know. They go to those who they know are seeking and longing for the Messiah to come, and they go and they find them. He finds his brother. He finds a friend. And so, see, we should do the same. And so the, the question is, okay, what do we share with them? Do we need to get into some, like, deep-weeded theology and, and put out this full 30-minute sermon? Like, what does it look like? I, I like the simplicity of their message. Come and see. Just come and see Jesus for yourself. Come and experience this Jesus. I think uh, a helpful principle is, is it's God's people proclaiming God's word, living from God's power. It's God's people proclaiming God's word, living from God's power. That's what it looks like to come and share the simple message of come and see. It's the people of God, those who have been changed by God, those who have experienced Jesus and are his disciples, it's saying, hey, come and just and, and, and worship alongside of us. Come and just check out the church on Sunday morning. Come and check out this service. Come and check out this small group. But I think also more often, even more than that, it's, hey, come and just hang out with me and my friends. Come and spend time with these people. Because the reality is when we as believers gather together and are spending time with one another, we are are a tangible representation or should be a tangible representation of the character of God. And so if we want people to see Jesus, we invite them into the body of Jesus and saying, hey, just come and spend time with us. But it's God's people proclaiming God's word. It's us saying, hey, why don't you just come and, and read the Bible with me? You, you notice, you see, Philip doesn't argue with Nathaniel. He doesn't get into some debate on why he could have come from Nazareth and, and all this. No, he just says, come and see. There's some people who they want to debate and they want to have all these questions. And I'm not saying that we don't need to answer their questions and we don't need to, to be ready to answer questions. But I think at the end of the day, we need to just trust the simplicity of, hey, just experience Jesus. And, and so maybe what that looks like is you saying, hey, would you be willing just to sit and, and read a passage with me and talk about it? Maybe for the next couple of weeks, let's work through a book together and we can talk and you can be honest, ask your questions. But let's just, let's just see what God's word has to say about this Jesus and invite them to study God's word. Speak the gospel to them, not in a, a condemning and weird way, but just let it flow through you in conversation to, to continue point them when they're having troubles, when they're having struggles, encourage them with the hope of the gospel. You know that this is the solution and the answer to all things. And so just let that gospel just flow through you. Keep pointing them to God's word, encourage them with it. And it's, it's us doing it from the power of God. We've all got the Holy Spirit within us. And so what that means is we have him directing our steps. We have him giving us words when we don't know what to say. And so oftentimes one of the clearest way we're going to communicate the gospel is by loving the way Jesus did. By serving those like Jesus served. Because when we serve and love sacrificially the way Jesus did, that is a clear communication of the gospel. And so we let the Spirit work in us and through us. And as we live by example, we proclaim the gospel to a lost world. When we love the way that Jesus loved and lived the way that Jesus did. 
And when we proclaim, we know that it's, it's not on us, that we're to be faithful to share God's word, be faithful to proclaim his gospel. But we know at the end of the day, we have no power to change hearts. It's only the Holy Spirit that has the power to do that. So we faithfully share and we trust God and his sovereignty for the rest. And so we are people who proclaim and we say, hey, come and see, come and experience this Jesus. I love the way that Robbie Gowdy says it. He says, the gospel came to you because it was going to someone else. The gospel came to you because it was going to someone else. The gospel, we have this weird kind of thought in our culture of like, hey, it's the pastor's job to share. It's the pastor's job to bring people to Christ. But the reality is Jesus called us all to go and make disciples. He called us all to go and proclaim his word. And so what would it, what would it look like if we as a people, as a people of God would actually take this seriously? That we who have been blessed by the truth of the gospel would then be faithful stewards to take this gospel to a lost and dying world. What would that look like? What would it look like on your campus if we were to take this seriously and stop just taking a back seat and say, oh, well, the pastor's got this or other people have this. No, what if we were to take this seriously and say, hey, I want to take this gospel, this message of hope to a dying world. And so just wrapping it all together for us, if you're in here and you're a follower of Jesus, I have the, the question I would ask you is, are you seeking God and are you seeking seekers? Are you seeking God and are you seeking seekers? We're called to pursue and run after God with all that we are. We're called to, to pursue him walking in obedience, learning to follow and obey his commands. Are you walking in obedience? Again, it's not, not to earn anything, but it's because of who you are. It's because of how God has changed your heart and given you a new identity and made you his child. We pursue after him in obedience. Are you seeking the face of God? Are you, are you plugged into a local body? Are you spending time in his word? Are you seeking his face? And are you seeking seekers? Are, are you going and you taking the gospel to the people around you who are lost? Every single one of us, if we sat here, we could sit here and name people in our lives who don't know Jesus. We can name people who are far from God and so are you taking the gospel to them? Are you praying for them? Are you praying for God to stir in their hearts? Are you praying for opportunities? Are you looking for opportunities? Are you having a simple message of, of just, hey, come and see? You don't have to have all the right words and all this, this well-meticulated, well-thought-out thing. Take the simplicity of the gospel and say, hey, just come and see this Jesus. Are you doing that? Because those who have experienced the gospel will be those who proclaim the gospel. It's just like we said from the beginning, when you have something that you have experienced, you have something that you love and that you cherish, you naturally go and tell people about it. And so those who have experienced the gospel will be those who go and proclaim the gospel. Follower of Jesus, are you taking the message of hope to a dying world around you? For others of you, you are not disciples of Christ and and the question I would ask you is the question that Jesus asked the two disciples who started to follow him. What is it that you're seeking? What is the longing and the crying of your heart? Do you have stability? Is there, is there a discontentment within you? Is 
there a lack of peace, a lack of security that you're feeling? Is there a longing for acceptance, a longing to be known, a longing to be loved deep within you? Have you tried thing after thing after thing to quench that thirst and it's not working? If you've tried everything else, turn and trust Jesus. Come and see the one thing that will satisfy the desires of your heart. Come and see the one thing that will quench the eternal thirst within you. Turn from your sin, turn from your own ways, and trust in Jesus, his person, his sacrifice, his resurrection, and find life beyond measure. Find joy, find peace, find contentment, find the longing of your heart met. And yes, the circumstances of the world, they will be thrown at you and it will be hard and there will be times where life is tough, but you will have a peace beyond understanding. You will have a joy beyond measure and you ultimately have a hope for a day where you will walk with your creator and you will live and dwell with him forever and ever. Do you have that hope? That Jesus' call for you is this, follow me, come and stay with me, abide in me and find life. Thank you.